This weekend, I will be in San Francisco at my favorite comedy club in the world, The Punchline, March 4th through the 7th. That's a Wednesday through Saturday. Punchline Comedy Club, San Francisco. Uh, recorded my album there, Read the Room, which you can go back and listen to, and then come to the show and hear a brand new hour. I can't wait. I'm bringing my boy Jeremy Shockley to play some guitar, do some improvised musical crowd work. It's going to be a lot of fun. March 4th through the 7th, Punchline, San Francisco. Get all these tickets at adamraycomedy.com. And then I've got other shows in L.A. Uh, I'm doing the uh, Kevin and Bean April Foolishness show on April 4th at the Microsoft Theater with Steve-O, Jeff Garland, Adam Carolla. So come to that. And... Uh, and I think that's it. We've got a lot of great shows coming up, like today's. So let's do it. Keep it cash. I got my emoji hat on. I'm in my uh, Moji movie hat. I'm in my Safari Los Angeles pants. You've always been this fashionable. It's I don't from know the if day. It's fashionable. Yeah, it is. I've always thought it was funny to dress like, I don't know, not an eccentric, but just dress. Uh, a guy who just robbed a pet store. Because I really don't give a fuck. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and often, in fact, that's what I just came from doing for the podcast. Did you really? Yeah, I got 10, 15 parakeets and one mint parrot. <laughs> Cherry parrot, a cherry they call it. No, they. You don't. get a parrot that is in cherry condition. That's a cherry. Wait a sweet second. Sweet chariot. <laughs> Cheers. Leggy, Where's leggy. my sweet chariot cam? <laughs> wait, ten to twelve parakeets. Ten to twelve. So wait, wait. So it sounds like you don't know the number. Like you reached into a bag. No, you, just... it's, you know what it is. It's a smash and grab. <laughs> you rattle the cage. You just fill your bag and you go. And then I didn't have time to look at it because I had to get here on time. Or at least try to, so. Thank you. I'll go down and kind of look over my uh, my bird, uh, what is it, my bird pull. Did you get names How picked out? How many birds I pulled? What? Did, did I get them right? Did you get names oh, picked I Oh, no, I move them on, I, I have a fence, and so I move them on the, the parakeet black market. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, it's real. That's it's, you know, it's a lot, and there's not much money in it, but it's kind of. You're not doing it for the money. It's the juice. For me, just like uh, Tom Sizemore and Heat, uh, for me. The action is the juice. Oh, that's a good size more. Passion yeah. project. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going really well. It just got into my back. No. Okay. So I have big. Okay. Well, where big do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Let me just start first of all with, it's so good to see you. It is. It's so funny that now, because <clears throat> I live in, um, I live in uh, Manhattan. I live in New York now. Yeah. And so it's funny that when I come here, one of the ways that I hang out with people I haven't seen in a long time is doing their podcast totally so like i hung out with bobby lee and his girl and yep. that was tiger belly yep. and then now i'm doing aln yep. and that's how i hang out with adam ray and but then dude theo i've known Vaughn. theo yeah tomorrow. theo tomorrow amazing i am like, only in town for a couple of weeks do you month. do you get flooded with memories when you come back and good times or and like even i have a buddy who just went to new york he's been there for a year and he's back here now for a month for his kid who's on the show and and he's like already like, oh, I want to come back. Just really? being here for a couple weeks. No, I'm the opposite. I didn't. I hated Los Angeles when I lived here, and I mean, it's so many good times here. I mean, in this building. Oh, that's because right. <laughs> when I first made some uh, some kind of you know some television dope. money, but also yeah, was, I made a little bit of movie money too. And yeah, you did. And so I thought I was like, you know, I'm living in this. I've always lived in Hollywood, so I lived behind Jimmy Kimmel Live in this really dumpy apartment. 
And after a while, I was like, you know, I have money. I could live. I don't need to live in like a eleven hundred dollar apartment. I could actually live in like a nice. And so I was walking around. I looked at this place, and I thought it's also similar to my parents. I thought, you know, that would be really funny to just like um, live in a place like that. Like really be New Hollywood about it. Yeah. And just kind of live there. And so um, I went in and I checked it out. And I think it was absurd. I mean, this is a long time ago. But it was like, I, it, I think it started, I, I do, I think it was $4,200 a month. It was just, it was just, it was ridiculous. Here? Yeah. But there's only, I lived in 806, I think. But there's only like four or so apartments on each floor. Mm. And so my place was actually bigger than I think this. Each floor is different, bigger than the entire offices here. And it's a gigantic loft. Yeah. And I put these like McDonald's heads like that I bought at an antique place in Brea all across the top of it. No, just a Ronald McDonald over and over and over again. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I had a huge idea board, but it's wall to wall. Um, glass, so you have this amazing, and then I had kind of, I, I thought it'd be funny to get a lot of glass furniture, so I had a glass desk, and I had like glass chairs, and, and we call this the glass tower, that's what Kate and I refer to it yeah. as, and when she, when we got back together the second time, we went in college, she, um, we actually had sexual intercourse in this building, and it was, it, I, I don't want to say it was disappointing for her. It was, it was like podcast, like sex. Like yeah, exactly kinda, right. Yeah. We, we recorded it and uh, we only put the cans on. When we were watching funny videos tonight, so actually past videos of me having sexual intercourse. <laughs> That's um, incredible. So yeah. So it was, it was a time when I really was. And then, and the funny thing about the building was it was like, the Jonas Brothers, one or two of the Jonas lived Brothers lived here. Well, I got real excited. About it that. was, yeah, I know. When I said Nicki Minaj before you almost threw up. <laughs> Jonas Brothers, he's like, oh dear. Well, I haven't had this feeling in this place in a long time. Let me get my good pants. Yeah, let me get my good pants because I've got on my bad dick. <laughs> and uh, and so the jo one of the Jonas Brothers lived here. Nicki Minaj lived here and she lived on... I was mentioning there's a fl one floor, you can see it outside, yeah. the top of these giant billboards that are on all four sides, um, one of the floors has balconies on uh, going out and it's only two apartments on that floor. Ooh. So they're just massive. I think they're like four bedroom or whatever. And that was my dream was to one day be on this side, the north side Looking with the balcony. It's because you can see the Hollywood sign. So you wake up, you walk out, you're at the highest place in Hollywood essentially yeah. Oh, yeah. and that you can live. And then you just see the Hollywood sign. I was like, that's making it. Of course, cut to now. I've uh, That is not my idea of making it. <laughs> it's living on Sunset and Vine. Sunset and uh, Vine though is kind of a famous street corner. I don't well, know. Well, that's it was... another reason that I thought it would be so Hollywood to right. live here. Where know? was it uh, popularized? I feel like for me, I feel like I heard in the Muppet movie when they were coming to Hollywood, they were like either they had a meeting at Sunset and Vine with Lord Grade, or they were like, like this is where yeah. T.J. Miller used to live. Like something, like something. <laughs> there was some something important about this. I, right? I could see it be a Muppet movie thing, and that also would make sense because Henson Studios is right near here, very close. Yeah, so that would completely make sense. And it is an epic kind of block for not being Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, and what it is really, it's. Um, is that is it real that Vine? Yeah, Vine up 
from Sunset to Hollywood Boulevard on Vine is more Walk of Fame. So that's right. a big thing there. And then this is sort of when Hollywood ends before you start to go into East Hollywood. Right. And that whole thing. And we talked about that in Manhattan. Walk of Fame to Walk of Shame. Yeah. <laughs> Real quick. It is a Walk of Shame. There used to be on Sunset Boulevard this uh, Thai restaurant that was an after hours bar, but you had to eat Thai food. It's still there. Really? Mark used to yeah. live there. What's it called? Yeah. I work there. What is it called? <laughs> <laughs> I work there currently. I actually, I, I'm, on, I'm on the computer filling... Feeling I'm I'm getting Cisco orders in the wholesale I'm in an eight-year-old chat room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that I'm getting way, flat noodles by the dozen. Um, so it, is it still there? Yeah. So it they would pour. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, uh, where do you think it was going to go? It's a great so. business model. Now like an underage people drink there if you paid extra. At like four or five in the morning, they would pour into like a teacup. It's very prohibition style or just a regular cup, sort of soju or whatever shit liquor there was. And that was the place we would go after Jumbo's Clown Room. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You're talking about on uh, Western in that corner. Yeah, kind yes. of right there. Yeah. But I think it's on Sunset. But anyway, the point is, is that um, this was, uh, what I liked was this was so funny and it's such a nice building, but it's still in Hollywood. I always yeah. lived in Hollywood because I liked the kind of grittiness of it. We didn't like, um, oh, so... Just to finish, so the uh, so Nicki Minaj, it was yeah. so weird to see her and her ex boyfriend, the guy that she left, who kind of started her career and produced all her music and stuff. I think his name was Jungle. That sounds right. And yeah, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, she had a pink Bentley that she clearly had leased. This was at the very beginning of her career. I was yeah. like, I I don't know. And her apartment, if it was on the 18th floor, was twenty thousand dollars a month. Listen to what I just said. Oh, she lives here? 20,000. She, yeah. she used to when I was there. But to rent that place was, or no, the uh, it was $18,000 a year. The the 20th floor or whatever the penthouse is, that was $25,000 a year. I, I pay $647,000. $647,000 a month? No, yeah. $647,000. Ask media killing it. Um, six what? $647 a month. In a nice $647? place. $647? Yes. In NoHo. Yeah. Really? Oh, TJ, you get, remember you get stabbed up there at the Ha Ha Cafe. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I, I've been through I used that. To be one of the only white people that played that. I uh, remember when I uh, told you to come to the Ha Ha. Oh I think yeah, it was for the first it. time, dude. That's exactly right. And uh, and I'll never forget because I quote. There's a handful of of uh, your jokes that to me are just like only you know when you hear a bit you go that can only come from that mind. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. And you did one there one time that I've quoted. Uh, and I'm always very uh, quick to be like, this is not mine, either before I say it or after. No, I wish you would. And, and then I'll have Kevin Nealon's manager call you, <laughs> call Alonzo Bowden and tell him to tell you to quit to quit <laughs> fucking quoting my bits. No, dude, it's you R go. Really? You literally did this thing at the haha. -ha. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and he goes, you said, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but the, you said, I, uh, some people like the 69 I'm more of a 39 guy, which is just back to back, butt to butt. 96. 96. 96. Okay. Back to back, butts to heads. Butts to heads. And then, and then you did the act out. Yeah. Dude, and the grabbing. I was in the back fucking. I did. Have you ever done a genuine spit take? Where? Yes, yeah. You have? Yeah, of course. I don't think I'd had one up until that moment. Wow. It was a big moment. That's, for me. that's and it was easily, at the haha of all That's places. the biggest compliment that you can. I do. I remember you going up there too because I was like, 
You were uneasy about that spot because you're like, it's not in the LA. It's outside of. Yeah, it just seemed. It's like Flappers and Burbank here now. You're like, how does this fit into the triangle of the improv, the comedy store, and the Laugh Factory? Yeah, right. It doesn't. You know, it's, yeah. At, <laughs> but it's still at all. There. But they were really nice, and they, they put they would put me up a lot. And that across the street, there is a place called Skinny's, and that's where I met my ironic bodyguard, who I worked with for what? over a decade. I had this bodyguard named Big Abe, and he um, <laughs> Jewish. And yeah, no, he was who knows. His last name was Haddad. He was he was like six eight and bodyguard, three hundred and fifty pounds. He's just gigantic. He really made me feel small. That was one of the fun things being around him. And so I met him there because I didn't have my ID, but I wanted to get a drink before the the because there's no place to really hang out at the Hot Cafe. Uh -huh. Um, there's not like green room, of course, but, um, so I went across the street to have a drink and I had an ID and he was the head of security and he said, you know, you can't come in without an ID. And so I explained to him my resume <laughs> until he was like, shut up. You're that guy. What did he I'm stop? Like, on? Yeah. And he goes, I forget. I feel like Cloverfield, he started to be like, oh, I kind of do remember you in that, but I must've been something like. She's out of my league, I think, or something like that. And then he just was like, "Hey, do you ever, uh, do you ever need personal security? Because I bodyguard for these twin rappers." And I was like, "This is perfect." And so I, um, I kind of worked with him for a really long time, and he would go to events with me. Wow. He almost tangled with Justin Timberlake's bodyguards because I tried to grab Timberlake uh, and touch JT. Yeah, I grabbed him. Said Justin. Uh, it's me, TJ from Yogi Bear 3D. Come on, and the because he was boo boo, and um, and his bodyguards were like, hey, and then uh, my bodyguard was like, and they just like got into each other all over me when I just talk boo boo, you know. <laughs> I just wanted to talk picnic baskets. <laughs> now that's JT. That's the sequel. And so that's right. Yogi and Boo Boo's bodyguards get into a scuffle. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And the, the name of the movie is Talking Picking Baskets. <laughs> um, and so I worked with him for a really long time and he was a great guy. Yeah. And I, I lent him money. Well, I hired him. He was, he was sort Where of is he the now? Payroll. He lives in Northern California. So I'm not going to say a lot of things because it did not end well <laughs> with that. that. Um, gotcha. But he. You know, I, I I retained a lawyer for him when he had a messy divorce and he was losing custody of his daughter. So you guys we became, became close. Very, very close, yeah. Wow. And when we when I would tour on the road, he would sort of talk to me about he would talk to me about like I don't know how do you like his life. His career architecture, his life, my life. And uh and so we became friends, but he was all he really believed in me and he just thought but the thing was is that I always kind of would say like Hey, send me an email every Friday. You can just be for your phone, kind of giving me an update of what's going on. And he never did it. Like I asked him to do that for years, and I think he sent one email. And then I was kind of like, like he was with me on underwater. So he was with me until pretty recently, a few years ago. And but you're you're famous, dude. Like I like that. He's like he believed in me. You go, you already made it. Yeah. <laughs> you never make it. You just keep making it. Got it. Well, who said that? Me just now. And it, it didn't Shut the sound great. Off. <laughs> it didn't sound great either. Uh, oh, you did. never, you never make, you never make it. You just keep making. That's a little better. Yeah. <laughs> um, so not much. Uh, Do you ever get take two on your own quotes? <laughs> I just did. I think. <laughs> Thanks yeah. to you being like, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
And on Underwater, he's sort of, um, he, I kind of said to him, I'm like, so look, I'm cutting weight for this role and I'm cutting a lot of weight. This is the movie that's getting ready to come out. Yeah, no, it came out, it came out January 10th. What is the one you were saying that just got into a festival? Yes, yes. So we'll talk that, about that. Yeah, we'll be in there okay. months ago. So I was cutting weight for underwater, yeah. and I had just done a bachelor party right before underwater, and it shot in New Orleans. It's not fun to cut weight when you're in New Orleans. How not fun you? in general, but you really can't eat any of the food except for oysters oh. for the most part. And the more what you do is you start by not eating four hours before you go to sleep, and of course you can't drink alcohol or eat sugar or no carbohydrates nothing it's just meat and vegetables that's it that's all you could ever that's easy what's that yeah very it's you know it's weird though after about five days four or five days of not eating sugar carbohydrates you don't really look at it and go oh man i could really go for a pizza it's strange and then then you kick it up to not eating six hours before you go to sleep and eventually and kristen stewart was kind of doing this with me you would eat breakfast, and then if you wanted to drink alcohol, your meal at night was like some tequila. So it's a really weird thing, but you, and then you you just you cut weight so quickly. You wake up each day, and you're two pounds less heavy. It's Correct great. me if I'm wrong, but you strike me as someone who is uh, really good with structure and self-discipline. Yeah? Not necessarily. Let's move on. Oh, you know, no, you know, <laughs> you know what I like, though, is I like, I like intensity in okay. general. So... If I'm if I'm sort of partying and I'll I'll kind of I'm eating pizza and I'm and I I like to go out and stay out late or something like that and still burning if I get really into it with well, no I don't I haven't smoked weed in two years is that what you were asking yeah okay cool see wow, I, I I'm can not, tell I'm by not, your lack of pot lingo yeah I know. Uh, um, no I haven't smoked marijuana in two years tell, which dude, is really look good which is really terrible no it's not no it is I miss it a lot that's one of the things I miss <laughs> about being here is I miss the marijuana is legal it's not legal in New York and that creative page six is really there's they have like spies all around and it's it's Damn. very weird like if you call from a restaurant or something <clears throat> um and tell page six like something about a celebrity in New York, you get paid. So instead of these TMZ guys that have a camera and are just trying to submit and get paid, everyone can work for page six. Anyone and everyone. Oh, fuck. So you so I went to this stretching place, this stretch bar, just to ask, like, what is this? And they're like, We stretch you, we help you stretch out, and we stretch. And I go, that's pretty cool. And I go, I stretch every day. No, it's they call it a stretch bar. Right. And so I said, it's like sweat theory right near here on Coenga. Have you ever been yeah, there? Yeah, so yeah. that, so, um, and and I said, because I stretch every single day. And she's like, oh, really? And I go, yeah, I'm actually pretty flexible. I told her this story about I had back problems and my, and if any of you have back problems, just stretch your hamstrings. And if your knees ever hurt, you do sort of stretch this part and then your glutes or whatever these are called. And, um, and so I had a doctor and he said, you have lower back problems? I go, yeah. I kind of looked at me. He's like, try and touch your toes. And I like, couldn't even get past my knees. Yikes. And he goes, um, every, every night and every morning, stretch your hamstrings until you can touch your toes and your back will start, stop hurting. And he was right. And it's because your shock absorbers are your muscles and your skeleton is sort of the hardware. Yeah. And, um, and so I told that story and I showed her, I can touch the floor even past my toes and in fucking page six, the next day it said TJ Miller is incredibly flexible. 
And then it it sort of told a mini story of it. So they just anything that they think could be clickbait um, that regard is regarding to you. So you can't be honest. I'd click on that. Yeah, but I can't. It's like if I ever bought marijuana in New York and somehow Page Six found out about that or I got arrested, it's just like it would be. Turns the worst out TJ is a little more flexible than we thought. Turn out TJ burns. <laughs> uh, so I I kind of. Um, uh, you know, I just haven't smoked in a long time, and I miss that about Los Angeles. I feel like if I, I feel like if I spend more time here, I would start smoking weed again. Yeah, I think because we do we're here lot. for a month, and we have we have a like a little rental apartment here that we keep full time. So I think what I'm gonna start doing is kind of come here three or four times a year for like a couple of weeks and just fly out to dates from Los Angeles. That's yeah. not different. Yeah, yeah, I'm always in a different city. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So um, when you were smoking in your heyday, then you must have had, because <laughs> I, you know, first of all, I met hey. you when you were on carpoolers. That's back in the heyday, as we oh, called yeah. weed. Hey. <laughs> it was that far back. Remember carpoolers? What, what do gay horses eat? Horse dick. <laughs> that used to be a joke. I did that joke when my comedy said, Really? <laughs> Uh, my nieces have a very similar joke. Yeah, they're ten. Yeah, but it's about a um a trans horse. Oh yeah, well they're woke. They are. They're Actually, woke. my nephew, who's five, no joke, uh, told me that he told some kids at school that I tell jokes, and I go, I go, do you have any jokes for me? And he goes, Why the chicken cross the road? I go, first of all, I just love your delivery. I don't know if this is Dice or like Seinfeld with a little bit of Rodney. This is good. And he goes, Why the chicken cross the road? And like, why? He goes. Because he had to go poop on the other side. <laughs> yeah, which is a good reason to cross the road. That's what I said. I said, and that's good timing, just makes too. sense. The timing's great. And then he goes, why'd the elephant eat the, eat the giraffe? I'm like, first of all, did not know that was possible. <laughs> what fucking nature dogs have you been sneaking? Yeah, he's... And, uh, and he goes, why'd the elephant eat the, the giraffe? I go, why? He goes, because he wanted to. Wow. You know, a lot of these Rock are both solid. jokes and explanations of motivations. <laughs> That's yeah. his style of humor, explanations he's, and motivation. That's also special, a great man. name for an album. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's on his way, <laughs> explanations man. Explanations and motivations. He's, uh, or if Color Me Bad reunites, that could be track five. Yeah, explanations uh -huh. and motivations. Did you? Lick, lick, lick. <laughs> find my way downtown to the downtown station. The chain gives off 90s R&B vibes. Yeah, what I is the chain? It. When did you get it and, and what is it doing? This, I, I ironically got a chain a long time ago. I just think it's funny to look funny. It just makes me laugh when I look way, in yeah. my, yeah, when I look in the mirror and I look like a complete idiot. And it's also, there's something funny to me about Kate and me being in public and me looking like this, which she has no problem with. She like likes these pants for reals in earnest. And she thinks the chain's cool. It's a big deal. And I asked her like, should I wear this Sag Harbor hat, which is like a place in New York where her father lives, or the emoji movie hat, and she was like, the emoji movie hat. Like, why would you not why yeah. would you not wear that hat? And so it's Keep funny it for me to be next to her because she's like this very elegant, cultured, redheaded, beautiful girl. And then I'm kind of like this ding dong next to her. And it makes me Can feel we bring like back that word, it's inspiring. I think so. I think it's, it's great. It's very flattering. Ding dong. And I am I it's affable and, and delightful and silly. Yeah, kind it's of dumb. not too mean. No, it's not too mean. This this ding dong. <laughs> I like jabroni too. Yeah. My cousin talking about this jabroni. Yeah. Doesn't mean anything. Uh, My brother in law is bringing back broad. Really? I don't think it's a it's not gonna good work. move. Yeah. I think I'm it's not gonna actually trying to discourage it. But. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs>
Hey guys, Adam Ray here for the About Last Night podcast. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Man, it's good to be back. And you know what? The best part about being back is sharing the goodies with you, the fans. I love candles, okay? You know from listening to this podcast, we've always had candles living around the apartment and now my new place. And um, I'm tired of buying the bullshit candles from the store. I want some personal touch. I want something handmade. So that's why I found Hangover Candle Company. That's right. Homemade by a bartender in Fort Collins, Colorado. He's a big comedy fan, podcast fan, reached out, said, I love the pod, would love to send you some candles. I'm like, I'm not comfy giving you my address. He's like, come on, trust me. I was like, all right, let's roll the dice. Boom. Now I've got fucking 40 different flavors of Hangover Candle Company candles in my place. Um, They're cut, sanded, poured, packed, and shipped all by him. Um... And you can choose from over 200 different containers, okay, to build your candle in. And over 40 different scents to create your own uh, smell. You can customize your own scent. Shit, man, they've got flavors like uh, fucking root beer, apple pie, cinnamon stick, coffee, fresh cut grass, uh, hazelnut, lavender, leather, maple syrup, peach, pine, sandalwood, spearmint, sea breeze, vanilla bean, watermelon. Go to Hangover Candle Co. Uh, on Etsy, okay? Go to Etsy. Type in Hangover Candle Co. It'll pop up at the shop and then pick your candles and then use the promo code ALN25 at checkout to get 25% off your first order. 25%. Hangover Candle Co. is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, But again, go to Etsy, type in Hangover Candle Co., find the candles and the smells you want, create your own, and then use ALN25 at checkout to get 25% off your first order. I love candles. They're great for any occasions, bar mitzvahs, circumcisions, uh, fucking weddings, funerals, gender reveal parties, uh, divorce parties, uh, coming out parties, coming in parties, coming parties. These candles are the shit, and they're my fave, and I want you guys to have them. So type in Etsy. Dot com and then type in Hangover Candle Co. and uh, and pick your candles and use ALN25 at checkout for 25% off. All right? Start smelling better. Start looking better. Start feeling better. Okay? Because everybody farts and candles are a great way to get rid of that. And now back to the episode. But, you know, you see me next to her. The contrast. And I think of myself as sort of an inspiration to other ding-dongs that are like, <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? I can sure. I can maybe marry up. This is maybe <laughs> If he can do it, I can. I know I was in a movie. She's out of my league, and all. When people come up after shows, they go, um, "She's out of my league" is my favorite movie, and it's always a favorite dude kind of like me. What favorite movie that you did? Oh, this, oh, this is what guys say to you. Yeah, so guy, gotcha. a guy will be like, oh, "She's out of my league" is my favorite. Movie. It's so good. I ju- I, it just is, and they're always with a girl who's like much better looking than them, but they're always kind of funny, and so it's like they really do see. They really do look at me and they're like, he has a toddler body and he looks like that and dressed like that, but he's with Kate maybe one day. And so I just think that that's very funny, but that's, so that's where the chain came from. But then I started, I started getting into gold in the Los Angeles gold district. In fact, this, my wedding ring, which is a gold nail and our company is glass hammer and gold nail. Um, this was made for me by these girls in the, the LA gold district called the gold sisters and they don't have a phone or an email. You just have to go and hope they're at their booth. Is it Tracy gold from the growing pains? I think, I think it's gotten that bad for her. (laughs) Uh, And so I, I would buy gold and then I had a, I had kind of good taste for the links and knowing what happened. I've done this with watches too. And then I would flip the chain. So I would make money off the chain and then go and get a different chain that I liked. And then, so I had a wheat chain that was really good, but these Russians at Voda Spa stole it, which is a place on Santa Monica Boulevard. 
Yeah, I know. It's very frustrating. And uh, <laughs> But then this is a Byzantine link that I got in um, the LA Gold District downtown, and this is a 700-gram link. And so it would be, and these are all 14-karat. You can't move 18-karat gold chains anymore. Oh, people don't attitude. care enough. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, you know. <laughs> That's great. Sorry. You no, know, the delivery. You... I think you and your uh, your little is it your nephew with the yeah, I he's think you guys could do a double act. Why not? <laughs> Definitely, that could really happen. By the way, cut to me just bombing in like Poughkeepsie somewhere, <laughs> just calling you on the phone outside after, dude. I gotta be honest, man. You're the one that pushed this yeah. through. And I think <laughs> no. it was a bad call. No, I can't do it because we took the nephew out of school. <laughs> I promised his parents. It was gonna... um, yeah, so I I, I you got... know a lot about it, which I think is. Like for me, I think there's a lot of people that I would see would have an interest in. in they all have Cuban links and they, you can't make any money off that because they just go by gram weight and the scrap gold price. So the only way to make money is to buy things that people can't find anywhere else and then convince somebody to pay more for the labor costs is what we call, call it when it's a Byzantine and it's not made by a machine. All the Cuban links are made by machine. And this is like a Russian link that nobody, and I like this, but I'll flip this, make like four or $500 and then buy a different chain. So that just got interesting to yeah. me for some reason. I like, it's also in New York, the diamond district, which is where all the gold dealers are, yeah. is like the craziest thing. Have you guys seen Uncut Gems? Unbelievable. It's unbelievable, right? Makes you angry at the end, but it's of course. It, it's uh, it's unbelievable and it's a nice insight into that world it, too. It's it, that's all real. So I I go into those buildings, go up and go through those bulletproof things, and then some of the I deal mostly with the the well Puerto Ricans, some Cubans, but it's like Orthodox Jews, yeah. and then um, here it's a lot of Armenians. Um, there it's like Ukrainians, but there's like Russian Jews and all. Yeah. And you go into one place called Rodeo Joe's and there is easily a hundred million dollars worth of gold in it's just these like poles with just, you know, hundreds of chains all over the place. And then they, they have all those watches that you see in uncut gems wow. that are all kind of diamonds on these yeah. Rolexes. And, um, is it a Jewish thing so to love jewelry? Yeah, I think My so. Mom, it's a display of wealth. It is right. Yeah. Where'd you yeah. grow up? Was that Where Denver, Colorado? Did you have a chain growing up too? Like your mom bought you one? <laughs> no, that? but I yeah, right. Or were you a fan um, of people that were rocking them? No, I went to a mostly black and Latino high school, so I had sort of a hip hop style and looked up to like the Beastie Boys and you know hip hop artists and um, Tribe Called Quest. Electric oh, yeah. Relaxation oh, yeah. was my high school girlfriend and my uh, that was our song. Have you watched uh, Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix? No. I want, it's great. It's awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah, I'll watch that. It's in Spanish, though. I might actually cut this podcast short so I can go watch that. That's, that's fine. Watch, let's I watch never have people are like, I'll get to that. It'd be funny to be talking to somebody and they're like, oh, you haven't seen Hip Hop Evolution? You're like, no, I'll talk to you later. And you just <laughs> yeah. go directly to watch Sorry, it. So if I don't do something now that I want to do, I won't do yeah, it. Yeah, I know so that about myself. It's going to be in a queue. Yep. Uh, Denver, huge comedy scene. Yeah, now. But, but not uh, then. It wasn't. And I came up in the Chicago scene. I was going to say. You, you, so you I went both? to school in DC and then um uh and then went to Chicago and Kate went to New York and she got tired of waiting for me to move to New York, so she broke up with me. But I was in Chicago, I was doing stand-up every single night, seven nights a week, sometimes two sets or occasionally three sets. 
And then I was doing improv classes on the weekends, working a day job and taking acting classes and voiceover classes and casting workshop, wow. casting uh, director workshops. Did you have any and, time to put in the work? <laughs> what do you mean? That was a joke. Okay. Sorry. See, I don't get any of slang. It's like a West Coast thing. No, it's a slang. It's, it's it slang, is a slang is a West Coast thing. It's a Jew slang. It's uh, a Jewish slang. My love don't cost a thing. Uh, <laughs> but it never has. It never has. Yeah, in fact, I've often had to pay it, pay to give it away. Pay to give it away. The next song by Color Me Bad. The next EP. Really? Uh, <laughs> really? I love them. Really. So really. on the edge, waiting for another CMB single. Um, I saw them in concert last year. Did you really? Yeah. And I told you I, I want to get uh, 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 Bell Bib DeVoe, uh, Ricky Bell on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. Right. I I agree. Bell Bib DeVoe might have been the top roller skating soundtrack in 1994. I had a right? joke that. <laughs> I had a show on Comedy Central called Mashup. Yeah, remember that? So good. that was a great show. That was a really funny show, and we would do these word mashups. That was so good. One by of them, the way. I know, but the director was such a fucking asshole. Oh, really? And he was so weird and like demeaning to the girls on the set, which is hilarious. Oh, I remember you telling me that. But he, he, he. Um, Tell people what the so show was. I just go back I, and watch. I it. couldn't work with him on a second season. They wanted a second season, but I was just like, I can't do that. And you couldn't get a new director. Now, because we uh, we had created it together, so it didn't work. We oh. both sort of own the idea. That happens a lot. Sometimes when you're like, whatever that show, it was a great show. That's exactly what happened. Creative differences. Um, it's like a tick. But uh, it was the show was stand up, and then they've done it many times since this. But yeah, but not that way. we would sort of uh, stand up would do a bit on stage, and then it would cut to people kind of acting it out and you seeing it played out. Mid-bit, right? It was cutting back and forth. Yeah, cut back and forth. Yeah, it was, it was really, stylistically, it was really cool. It looked great. Um, nice. But we had word mashups. And one of them, they would be like, um, um, well, I'll just tell you the one that, that it was about Bell, Div, uh, Bell Biv DeVoe. Mm -hmm. The word mashup was Taco Bell Biv DeVoe. <laughs> and so you that's what you do. You would combine two... <clears throat> phrases and then and then we would show what that would be and it would be people singing those people singing about taco bell and their favorite tacos and all that stuff and so the show was really really funny but that was one of my favorites and we never did it because we wanted to get bell biv devoe hell yeah we went after him they weren't into it what would that be so wait so combining like a now that we found grub what are we that's gonna exactly. do grub is great that's heavy D in the boys yeah, was that? great that's yeah. heavy D in the boys yeah, yeah but it, we, oh, it is? Were, we were having a lot of fun oh poison's bell bib devo yeah i just com yeah. make confused the this gordita's poison <laughs> seeing that wasn't as funny as yeah. his who cares oh no, that's great that's just too real that's just that like, that's brilliant. on the nose. Right. Taco Bell is going to probably reject that campaign song. Um, uh, did you, um, that's a lot to be doing at one time. Casting workshops. Imp oh, wait, keep going. I can't, I can't now it's going to be me the show. <laughs> no, I don't want to move like, on from this until you get two uh, more fireballs. The, the, the nacho taco is my choice and I might get nachos too, like something like that. <laughs> uh, that, was a long, that's, that was a long way to go for not much. But no. that's also the name of my next <laughs> album. It's a collaboration with Bell Biv Color Me Bad. <coughs> I was happy. Uh, yeah, that was I great. Like, okay, there you go. So yeah, I was doing a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. Who told you to do that much? Or was it always in you when you were like, if well, this is I what figured, I'm going to do? I, I figured that, first of all, I was sort of driven by this kind of mission statement that was outside of myself. So it wasn't really about becoming successful. I just wanted to be the best 
comedian I could and try and become successful enough to make as many people laugh as I could. So that was actually the impetus behind film and television. I didn't really, I always mostly just cared about stand up, which is why I live in New York now. Cause I can do three, four, five sets on a weekday and then even more on a weekend. Yeah. And so I, again, I like that intensity of, uh, of that kind of work ethic. And I saw my father and his work ethic and he was really, he like wrote the books on personal injury law in um, Colorado and he just, he worked tirelessly. And my mother kind of did too. As I got older, I realized that she was also equally, and I wouldn't say that they were workaholics because um, like I was never an alcoholic. I just felt very strongly about drinking as much as I could to become a successful out of drinking. That sounds That's fine. Possible. That's fine. Uh, but but they they really work ethic was a big thing for them and i remember when i told my father hey i'm i'm going to become a comedian and it might take 5 years it might take 10 years it might take 25 years but this is what i want to do i think it's the best thing i can do for other people and he said well you know only 2% of the people in the screen actors guild make a full time living in acting and those are the types of fucking Where's that statistics that were um they were just in his head he just knew that off the top of his head and i said yeah i know like but danny bonaducci's diary like how did he know that yeah he's, well I, I do know that he kept reading danny bonaducci's <laughs> diary oh shit yeah he got access to it and he would revisit it every three months that's really weird um but he um, and I said, I know, but this is, you know, I think this is really important. This is the best thing I can do. And I, it's the thing that I'm best at. So it didn't knock you down to. Like, no. Drink. Cause then he said, well, your mother and I, figured, we, it was always a weird setup when I had those types of conversations because my father's office was in the third floor of the house with this old, like governor's mansion that was in a really terrible, get ready for this gay gang neighborhoods. So there's a lot of gangs in a homosexual neighborhood. What's and the so, fucking address? But, <laughs> it's right near Cheeseman Park, which I never could go in after dark because people I, people got shot outside my house. Like, it was rough. And uh, so they got this really big house for very cheap because it was in such a bad area. And so we, I would go to the third floor and he would, I would sit here and he would sit behind this huge desk and my mother would sit behind me in a couch so that they could communicate silently without oh, me seeing. What's that? It's a podcast. Yeah, it was like a podcast. Huh. It was like a podcast before there were podcasts. You know what I mean? It was like not recorded and nobody listened to, to it, but it was a lot like a podcast. <laughs> and um, so I just kind of, um, you know, I, I so I, I, I said, and he said, well, your mother and I think that with your work ethic, you'll be successful at anything. And that really stuck with me because then I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. If you work harder than anybody else around you, there's no way you're not going to be successful. Whenever people ask me for advice, that's what I say. Work harder than everyone around you because if you see somebody and you want something similar to what they have, look at how hard they're working. Look at how they're working and work in a similar way, but harder than them. And you know, what is something bad going to happen if you work as hard as you possibly can? Yeah. So, I mean, you know that you do the same thing. You were right. And you're a guy that does a lot of stand up and always did, you know? And I always, I remember whenever I'd see you, um, I was amazed at the, how quickly you were progressing and getting better mm. because you would kind of, I wouldn't see you for a little while. And then I'd see you and it's clear. You were not only performing a lot, 
but writing a lot. Do yeah. you, how do you, do you, do you perform? Do you come up with an idea, work it out on stage? Do you write the bit beforehand? A little bit of both. And even, uh, I mean, it's, I wish I, I wish I had the discipline to sit down and I think I heard like Whitney at one point say that she was like, I get up at like seven to like eight thirty and write. And I was She's like, crazy too. And I don't, I've never had that. And look, I have had times where I'm like, I'm going to sit down and, and flush out more some of these ideas that I've had. But a lot of the times it's when things hit me, I try to, the more I was doing stand up, the more I conditioned myself to start seeing things, seeing the jokes uh, before I really had to write them. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So it was like, even just this last weekend with my nieces, there's about three or four things that went down. And I was so dialed in to immediately be like, oh, there's something there. Note or, wow, there's a lot there already yeah. that I'll jot down. And then I'll either take it to stage that night or if I'm feeling, you know, uh, fun or if, uh, which I always try to do. And this is another thing that I always admired about you is is the looseness and the comfortable uh, factor mixed in with the like, almost like in an audition when they say improvise, but within context of the scene, you know? Yeah, yeah. You've always been good about keeping things like contained. That's a good point about Dick, because I did a lot of improvisation in Chicago. So totally. I always improvise. And you like to bring that to the sets. stage, but yeah. it's always like, seems like it's got a purpose, you know? Yeah, and I, you know, I think similar for me, the way that you work, and then also, a lot of times now, sometimes it comes out of conversations with Kate, because she's really, really funny too. Um, which is very strange as well. It's weird to be around somebody who's like really, really funny and also really, really attractive. Cause then yeah. you're like, why did I get fucked out of one of these things? <laughs> and so, um, and so did you know that a woodchuck, you know that how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? My favorite. Did you know that a woodchuck is not a beaver or anything like a beaver? It's a groundhog mm -hmm. and that chucking wood is not chewing wood. And if you think about it, chucking is throwing something carelessly. So people have been asking that question forever, but we found out the answer like a couple of days ago because how much a woodchuck is a, prairie, a groundhog. By the way, they got fucked. I'm turning this into a bit soon, but they got <laughs> fucked on uh, Alonzo Bowden would love this because I'm testing out material. Um, they got fucked on the name. They were called a woodchuck, which is an awesome name. And then they're like, no, actually, we're going to call you a groundhog. You're racist. gonna be the hog in the dirt, a dirt hog. What? It's racist. It is in a way. It really is. It, in a yeah, way, it really is. But how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Not very much because groundhogs have very small arms, <laughs> and chucking is just to throw carelessly. Yeah, you dick. So we answer the question. So sometimes it'll be something like that, and that's very absurdist. But then other times I have a big chunk on like how bad technology is for us. And that's- You're, you're that's talking about, about your Netflix? Real, uh, yeah, too? yeah. Brilliant. That's a real- that's So good. A real thing. And also, I mean, again, and this is again why uh, well, you've always been one of my faves it, to watch. It, first of all, you, and this probably comes from your, I don't know, theatrical, just uh, sh the showmanship of, of you on stage, which I feel like I didn't truly pick up on until I started to get into it more and see people that I liked and go, oh, when you're on stage, man, it's a- it's a show, like just standing yeah. there and telling jokes. It's like, dude, go do that in a, I mean, look, yeah, you there's- You gotta be engaging and yeah, moving man. and yeah. And, and everyone has their own energies and point of view, but like, I don't know. And now what you're doing on stage is just like truly taking advantage of everything. Yeah, it's a one-man philosophy circus. I mean, it has what juggling, terrible ventriloquism. The audience plays the slide trombone. Like, it's a fucking... <laughs> the ventriloquist dummy weird. has a... Smaller ventriloquist dummy that has a smaller ventriloquist dummy that has a slightly larger ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. You did a so, bit once that was one of my favorites, again, where you did... 
you, about going in. I don't know if you still do it. You probably did it on a special about going in for the high five at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. true story, yeah? Um, yeah, it's, you know, just the idea of some guy being like, I don't have to work tomorrow. And you're like, yeah. And he's like, my uncle died. And you're like, no. <laughs> and you slowly wipe their face. And you're like, I'm sorry this happened. Um, yeah, so it's, and, and those jokes are kind of absurdist observational. To try to have a balance so, of that stuff with more. Yeah, I'd like to do just absurdist. But what I'm realizing is that people come up to me after shows and some people will be like, that thing about being a burp farmer is just amazing, man. That's so silly. It's just ridiculous. Or there's a joke that I'm doing right now uh, that Brent Weinbach loves. And I think I already did it on a special, but it's like, you know, sometimes uh, if I go home and after the show, if I'm lucky, Kate will give me a little bit of this, huh? Huh? Maybe a little bit of this? Huh? Huh? Yeah? Maybe some of this? Mm, okay. <laughs> But if I'm really lucky, I might go home and she might give me a little bit of this. <laughs> and so people come up afterwards, people I respect, like Brent Weinbach and certain people, and they're just like, oh my God, that shit is so funny. Yeah. But most of the time, the people are not saying that. They're saying, they're saying, you know, that stuff that you, you do on Unconditional Love is really great. I, yeah. You should keep doing that. Or the Netflix stuff, it's really yeah, good. Yeah. So, yeah, I have to sort of do a balance to do what I... Do you run bits by her? Kate? Yeah. No, because sometimes she won't like stuff that is not only funny, and it pisses me off. Like, I, I was doing this joke, and sometimes she'll... She will give me notes after a set, and I'll listen to them. I don't take any of them. And sometimes <laughs> I, like, make... I yell at her while she's down. I just go, this is what you sound like. Yeah, uh, no, she'll give me notes, and if the, you know if there's good ones, I can sort of take them. But one time I asked her, I was like, "What do you think of that Red Bull vodka bit?" It's just a one-liner I do within the trombone section, and it's um, right, right. Uh, does anybody hear like Red Bull vodka? And they're just like, "Yeah," I was like, um, "Yeah," because we like to be awake when we pass out. <laughs> that's that's funny, yeah, you know. And is. and she was like, "This is real." She goes, "It's a little passe," and I was like. <laughs> what and so i don't really ask her about stuff anymore because that's not even just mean that's like uh um it's not even condescending it's like disregarding it's like ugh, i know i wouldn't it's not it's not it's not something anybody should be doing much less you you know so that was kind of a thing where i was like ugh, i don't know about that but then you know then other times she has a great idea and one thing that she'll you know what i will do is i'll call her before shows almost always. And sometimes I'll just kind of, the audience is not, doesn't look like it's gonna be great or we're in a town and it's not, and I'll sort of say, what do you think I should do tonight? And she knows my act so well that she'll say, you should do the cats thing. I love the cats thing. Or she'll say, do the cats thing. But then I have a big chunk on ethnicity right now, mostly about whites. Oh boy, what do we do? And I'm looking at you. Yeah, yeah, go. Looking go, right at you. Go there. And your, go and there. your half unbuttoned shirt with your white ass clavicles. <laughs> fucking Jesus. You, fucking Christ. <laughs> so I do I do a whole ethnicity chunk, and but she doesn't really like that because I talk about being a maybe Jewish. And she, I don't know, she just gets touchy because she knows that the media just loves to And just Kate's go a real person. Me. She's a what? Real person. Yeah, Google her, bring her up. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that part of what you do? Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, you have the laptop. That's yeah. the only reason. Yeah. What are you surfing back there? 
Yeah, you're still in that egg roll chat room, fucking <laughs> uh-huh. buying wholesale for the Thai after hours drink. God damn it. Get off that thing. Find a picture of my fucking wife, you son of a bitch. Oh, you're married? Really? 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 No, really? Uh, you're married? So very, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, Teach, so, wait, when I first sorry. met you, when I first met you, it was uh, when you just got carpoolers. It was at Jeannie McCarthy's casting office. I don't know if you yeah. remember that. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember Carpoolers. I remember Jeannie McCarthy. She was really good to me. Good to you, too. Great right? to she you, was yeah. great. They're pretty good to me. I, you know, it's funny you say you were doing a lot of stand-up. I know when I know you, but it's like, dude, I would have, you were doing what, exactly what I wanted to do, which was do the stand-up and then go, hey, TV show. Hey, TV show. Hey, movie. Movie. Movie, good to see you. Yeah. And just, you know what I'm saying? The She's Out of My League, which I feel like was... Don't you think like the like a breakout part for you to really go? Oh yeah, in a sure. big comedy where people that are like was sort of I was the star of an ensemble cast. Like we were all the stars of this ensemble. Jay Barishaw was the guy, but the movie was a lot about the friendship. So yeah, yeah that was and Cloverfield. You can't even see me. I was like, that's, it was like an I see that's yeah, another voice acting gig. Yeah. How much did having like a uh, because you know and obviously you've done so much killer VO work, but like having your pipes when you were doing. Yeah, it was, voiceover oh jesus god <laughs> well, i need to burn one to know what's going on around these parts put that in your egg roll and chat about it okay Son of please a make bit. that shirt yeah. okay. or show really yeah <laughs> finally someone told me uh did in your voiceover class did they did the teacher you know because you've always had this set of pipes they right smoke cloves and just scream did they, all the time did they is that i mean did they smoke weed say like you're gonna be fine or were they like did they try to give you direction because they were like you know almost they're like you should smoke cloves and marijuana and yell a lot in your comedy and then eventually you'll sound like a chain smoking drag queen and people will recognize <laughs> you as the mucinex man you know <laughs> uh no i i think i think what was interesting is the acting class, I went to Leslie Kahn here. Yep, me too. And I wanted to do, he's great, right? He's great, yeah. And and comedy focused. So yep. that was something that the two of us could really, because I, I don't really love actors. Like, I like movie stars. I get along well with movie stars, but I don't like actors because they're so self-serious and I never wanted to take like an acting. So that's why Leslie Kahn was great because she was so comedy focused. And what I found is the way that I was killing in these auditions and in class was the improvising that I was doing. So I, I started never doing, and that's how I got carpoolers. I kind of actually wore underwear and printed out a backdrop of, um, uh, of books. Like I was in a library. It just, I did this ridiculous thing and Bruce McCullough from kids in the hall, he created and was directing the pilot ups and he was like, Oh, that guy's ridiculous. And then I was always improvising in these auditions and nobody else would be improvising a, cause they were scared and B cause that was not their background. They're actors. Also, we hadn't really come up on that uh, time yet where comedy was really like encouraging that. Right. Wasn't this almost like pre Apatow? Yeah, I would say, yeah. Just on the cusp, maybe. Yeah, he was, but it wasn't as known that that's what people were doing. Yeah, yeah. And I would, I never fell in with the Apatow crew. I could never get in to their 
aesthetic and stuff. Like I kind of knew Seth Rogen and liked him. Which is weird because what you're doing is so that world. And I yeah, I have a lot of theories about why that is the case. But rather than kind of upset Judd Apatow. Sure. Um, Jay well, he's Barishaw, in the chat room. Let's see what he says about it right now. <laughs> He's into you. Ask him about those flat news. He's cool with you. He's cool with you. Um, he's really. Yeah. Uh, he. Um, he's, it's a big gamble to do all that, by the way, because I remember being so. I'm one of those people that was so self conscious about doing something that was too wacky, and yeah. you know, to uh, to her credit, my mom would always be like saying she she always had these weird quotes and stories of like actors like you know Ving Rhames once went in there and once went into an audition for Grey's Anatomy and dropped the n-word 15 times and that's how he got the job I'm like he was never on that show she's like you haven't seen the whole show then like whatever it was she had these stories she speaks and, suspiciously like your nephew by yeah the way. <laughs> yeah why did the the tiger eat the mongoose you know? did Ving Rhames get the job <laughs> she has so many anecdotes though that were like do something different and I was always so apprehensive to like pull the trigger on that stuff. And so that's, you know, but, and, you know, to your uh, credit, that's, you know, probably what separated you, uh, you know, in I addition a lot to the of talent. Was, the other thing is with stand up, this is very powerful, and you know this, um, I never really needed the job. So, like, I did this uh, video from uh, for Yogi Bear 3D where I did the audition with an actual bear. Oh, that went viral. And that was pretty fun. Did you, did you ever see that? No. That's so, pretty funny. T I mean, t take us through that. That is. Do you bring up wacky videos? Oh, yeah. Mark, can you bring it up? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, dude. Mark, you can bring that. You can bring up my. I just Something to do now. Read, but you can't find a picture of Kate Miller on the fucking internet. <laughs> hey, guys. It's Adam Ray taking a quick break from the podcast to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, look, life is full of ups and downs. There's always something that can get in the way of our happiness, and you need somebody to talk to, right? I know for me, with my own issues in life, uh, whether it's career-oriented, family drama, having somebody to talk to helps, and I don't feel like burdening friends uh, or significant others with that info, okay? You need somebody with a neutral playing field and someone with a clean slate to come in and listen to what's going on with you, and that's what BetterHelp is for. I've used them. They're phenomenal. What they are, okay, is um, is a online counseling resource, okay? Video chatting, texting. <clears throat> it's basically connecting with a professional counselor. Um, again, somebody that uh, is unbiased and coming in uh, that is a, uh, a professional to help guide you with whatever's going on in your life. Uh, privately online, okay, so it's convenient. You can do it at your own schedule, all right, at your, out of your own home, which is great. A lot of these places, you know, you need to go somewhere. It, it takes time out of your day. Maybe it's too far away to go to where you really want to get to. This is out of the comfort of your own home. Uh, you can schedule a video or phone session plus chat and text with your therapist uh, who are all licensed and specialized in things like depression, stress, uh, anger, uh, LGBT matters, grief, relationships, sleeping, trauma, uh, anxiety, uh, family conflicts. I know I've dealt with a lot of that in the last few years. Anything you share with them is confidential. Uh, it truly is uh, a pretty phenomenal uh, resource that they've created. And these counselors, uh, there's over 3,000 uh, U.S. licensed therapists uh, across all 50 states. And uh, four communication modes, again, text, chat, phone, and video. <clears throat> If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, um, request a new one. No additional charge because it's all about finding somebody that relates to you, you feel comfortable with uh, sharing the info that uh, you'd like to get some help on. Uh, it's available on desktop, mobile web, Android, and iOS apps. 
schedule your video and phone sessions generally a week out um which is you know great i think that's enough time for everybody to get their shit in order uh and there's a broad expertise in the network which um may not be locally available in many areas financial aid is available for those who qualify which is huge uh again it's secure convenient professional and um and affordable uh which is kind of the biggest thing. A lot of people can't scrounge together the, uh, the, the coin to, to get, even get this type of help, but it's super affordable. And best of all, right now, ALN listeners, that's right, you guys, if you need help, you need somebody to talk to in any of those areas I mentioned, depressed, stress, sleeping, trauma, family, uh, anxiety, um, go to betterhelp.com slash about last night uh, and simply fill out a question there and uh, you can get 10% off uh, your, uh, your order. That's, that's huge. Betterhelp.com slash about last night. <clears throat> Fill out the questionnaire that helps them assess what kind of help you need and what kind of counselor you're going to love and, uh, and start getting the help that, uh, that we all deserve. That's betterhelp.com slash about last night to get 10% off your first order um, and start connecting and living better, you know, because that's what it's all about. All right. Back to the episode. Yeah. So I, so are you part of like the cast? family media network or yeah yeah okay yeah so we we need something like that because i we have a podcast me and this guy cash levy yeah and what's funny is um i think part of the reason that we have a cult following is a very strong cult following um they call themselves the 12 and a half because we have 12 and a half listeners but (laughs) the podcast is that cash levy um is uh the host of the show which he is it's his show and he's tried to get other guests, but they always fall through or cancel. They just don't want to do the show. So I'm the only guest that's been on the show in six years. <laughs> so for over 200 shows, uh, he's the, I'm the only one that he could get. That is committing to the bit. But yeah, yeah, totally. But so, and it's really, it's, so it's really funny. But if you like podcasts, which you absolutely, obviously do ALN in the house, um, please uh, check out Cashing In with TJ Miller. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We have our own, we have cash phrases. There's its own whole language, but it's very absurdist. Oh yeah. It's kind of absurdist and philosophical. You guys are really silly together too. And you know, he's a great improviser too. Amazing. I feel like you, and you're always so good on talk shows too. I want to hear if there's a time when you ever felt, um, cause you did Letterman. Yeah. That to me is, I mean, yeah, it's, know, great. You, it's done great. them all, but it's that really to great. me, like, I don't know. It just, I grew up on Letterman and Conan, right? Like, obviously, Leno, but truly, like, stayed up late for Letterman and then just doubled down with Conan. So, yeah, I thought for me it was Conan, but Letterman, that is the. Which is amazing because Conan, when you started to really roll and Conan was just like in Comic Con and being like special guest, friend of the show, that was mind blowing to me, dude, because. Yeah, it's amazing. And you were just crushing Conan, loved how fucking just silly. and, And it seemed like you had carte blanche to do anything. But those were his bit, you know, when he first started with the masturbating Baron stuff with stuff that I remember, he was very, it was a lot more absurdist, I think, a little bit. And so I think he liked how absurdist it was. But those things are always surreal. You know, when on Letterman, I remember I kind of scratched my chin and I was like, oh, God, I that will forever. I'm on television right now. <laughs> like, this is not a weird thing to do. But it just in that moment, I remember going like this and being like, I did that and that will be forever. That's always recorded on television and will be on the internet. Were you um, nervous for that? Uh, no, not ner- I don't get nervous. I'm don't. just like anxious for it to go well. So it's like, okay, let's just have fun with this because it's fucking crazy. And also it was just for Cloverfields. I hadn't really, it was mostly because my managers had, uh, um, 
writers on uh, Conan, or no, no, sorry, on, writing for Letterman. And so they sort of got in his ear and were able to get me on there. But yeah, that was, that was crazy. And it was a good interview. And so that helped. And then Conan always felt really, um, you felt really at ease there and you could be ridiculous. But um, yeah, like I said, a Donald Trump tie on fire and tap dance on it with real tap dance shoes. And that wasn't even, I'm not a political comedian at all. It's yeah. just, I ha when I was getting ready for the show, I saw that I had a black tie that was actually a Trump brand tie. And I was like, that'd be kind of funny to set it on, you know, just, just like, what is the most ridiculous thing? Yeah. But, you know, to to your point, and I'm sure you've had these experiences, um, but those times when people that you think are iconic even know who you are, much less like your stuff, is very strange. Just today, um, Christina Shams, you know, who used yeah, to look like. Yeah, very well. So she knows Norm Macdonald really well, and she said, she relayed something that Norm Macdonald said about how much she liked me and what he thought. And that was like, because to me right now, we it's undeniable. We all know that it's like Chappelle and Bill Burr, and mm -hmm. there's those people that are just, those are the guys right now. But for me, you know, I like other people like Maria Bamford and Brent Weinbach, much stranger, stranger stuff. Yeah, yeah. But Norm for me is kind of the Chappelle of what I like and I'm doing because he's truly with um, Gossip Trickery, Gossip Trickery and Hitler's Dog, also a hilarious name for the special and the way he ends it. But um, that is a perfect comedy special, and I think I'll look back at it like uh, Richard Pryor live from the sunsets, or yeah, um, dude, or Steve. Honestly. <laughs> That special for me was like Steve Martin's live from the Hollywood Bowl because it's a perfect nihilistic special and he has such a specific voice. But now the philosophy of what he's doing, talking about death and that come from a long line of people who died. And uh, it's, you know, he's just, he's really, really, really good. So to hear that is just absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, I was curious because you, Again, and going back to when you said you get along better with movie stars versus actors, I get that. I guess I just put then movie stars in a more, um, I don't know, comedic category to where they're they feel like more comedians to you, which is what you came up on a new because serious actors. I think it's right? that they're not as as talented like me. They're <laughs> so they kind of bullshitting their way through. No, no, no. I mean, I think I don't consider myself an actor, even a very good actor. I just think I'm a good comedian and I know yeah, but you how to act, but I, I know how to act naturally. And then I'm doing the comedy yeah. in between. So it's, it's the comedy that is making, I'm never going to do a serious movie. I don't want to ever, ever be like, this is my eternal <laughs> sunshine of the spotless kind. I, that's not, that's not interesting to me. So, um, it's more that. And then movie stars just kind of like I'm friends with Mark Wahlberg and Kristen Stewart. What? And I'm kind of, you know, I this movie, in fact, uh, I found out today, right before we came to the show, that the film I did with Drew Barrymore, um, the stand in got into the Tribeca Film Festival. Oh, that'll be oh, the yeah. first thing that I've Jeez. done that got into Tribeca. Congrats. So that's first really thing you've exciting. done that got in? They got into Tribeca. No, I had two shorts go to Sundance back to back, and then our idiot brother went to Sundance. So I've been in certain things that have gone to Sundance or South by Southwest. Dude, but that's this, incredible. Yeah, this, this this is a really big deal because I saw it, and 
you know, I mean, I was in it, um, but I, I saw the final cut to do some notes. It's Jamie Babbitt who directs like, directed Silicon Valley, Marvelous Miss Maisel. She did Girls. She just did um, I forget, a Russian Doll. She directed a lot of Russian Doll. So she's just brilliant, brilliant. And Mike Judge actually, she I, she must feel this way about what we're talking about. Mike Judge thinks that she's a prodigy. Mike Judge is like she's a prodigy, and so she's amazing. So she directed the thing, and I play Drew Barrymore's manager. And Drew Barrymore, and it's modeled after my old manager and also Jamie's old manager. So what I did was I cut weight to exactly his weight because he used to talk about his weight. I got the exact same haircut, the same stubble, <laughs> and I dressed exactly like him. Who is that? So I feel like, you know. You'll know? Yeah, you'll know. Okay. No, I mean, uh, it's it, what what's funny about it is not who I'm doing, but that he himself is such a manager. And I... I no longer work with him, but it was like an amicable, amicable split. So I don't want him to think that what a good I'm move. being derogatory. But it's it, so I did that, and then I saw the movie. And Drew, play, she plays, um, she plays a movie star who is felled. Like the media goes after her and destroys her, and then she becomes a recluse. And she wants to get out of film and stop being a movie star. She's a big comedy movie star, like Melissa McCarthy or something, and. Her stand-in doesn't have any work because she's the stand-in for this. And Drew Barrymore is playing the stand-in. So they did prosthetic makeup so that it's Drew Barrymore and then a woman who looks very similar but not exactly like Drew Barrymore. And that's Drew Barrymore. And the stand-in starts to do an apology tour for her because this is very much what's happening in Hollywood right now. Yeah. So she does an apology tour and um crushes it and crushes it and then she starts to take over the movie star's life and you know drew tries to get back into her house she's locked out of her house and the cops come and they, she goes this is a crazy stalker woman who's been trying to get away she thinks she looks like me and so the stand in and so what it is is it's a really dark comedy about hollywood and the darkness of hollywood and so we didn't get into Toronto, but I think that's because Toronto now has become like just where you put the good movies. It's like Steven Soderbergh and Meryl Streep and fucking The Joker. And it's like, these are like huge fucking movies. These are not yeah. indie films. No. And then Sundance, I don't think, what I was worried is it wasn't going to get anywhere because Hollywood does not think it's funny to make fun of them right now. This Hollywood feels very much like they're they're power they're much more powerless than they thought they were. That the American public has kind of now sees them as like this weird fucking you know oh you think you're so great and, and the awards shows are becoming more frivolous and less watched. Um, well, also, Robert Redford was a diamond tap guy, not a Mucinex guy, so that might have been true. A fact. True. I hated that about him. <laughs> diamond tap gives you cancer. Now that I used to do that, that I used to do that, and Mucinex would get angry at me. I don't work with him anymore, so but I, I have him not I, other I products. To, no, I used to post and say that Nyquil and Dayquil are proven to give you cancer, but I'm not going to say which kind and stuff like that. <laughs> And they would get so mad because they were like, don't you understand the legal repercussions of this? And they're like, but I'm a comedian. So um, it's just, you know, the rest of the country sees Hollywood as super woke. And I think that makes Hollywood like woke. And that makes Hollywood feel 
almost a little self-conscious. Yeah. And big movies aren't necessarily working the way they used to and the streaming giants. It's just, it's pretty weird here right now. So I thought, you know, we might not even get into a festival because um, Hollywood doesn't think it's funny. Well, no, not even that. I mean, I saw the film. It's really good. It's as good as Extract, which is a really dark comedy I did with Mike Judge. And... I just was like, they just don't get the joke. They're not going to get the joke. But then it came through today that Tribeca accepted it. And that makes perfect sense because Tribeca's in New York. They're kind of actually still indie and anti-Hollywood-ish. Anti-establishment for sure. That's the Nero's Fest, right? Exactly. And so I think- Have you met him? No, I never met him. Oh my God, (laughs) But it's exciting because all the New York people will be there. So in New York, there's not a lot of famous people. So you kind of- all know each other like it's like but think about this it's like ryan reynolds jake gyllenhaal claire danes chris rock who actually i think boy mary fuck kill fuck um (laughs) yeah alec baldwin i just found out lives in our neighborhood giamatti um yeah giamatti lives there but like janine garofalo lives there and so everybody sort of knows each other and I'm sure they're all going to be at the, the at that Huge. festival. So I'm so excited. You out, dude? Yeah, I mean, it's really... And Tribeca, honestly, is like the cool festival now. Yeah. Like, Sundance is not cool. Any- I just saw my lawyer on the street in Beverly Hills, and that seems to always happen when you're down there. You just see somebody that you know. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I'm not doing film festivals anymore. I'm not doing them. Just, I had enough. I'm out. And that's because South by Southwest and Sundance especially has become so over the top industry, like the parties and the everything. It's like all that was supposed to just be here in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And then these festivals were supposed to be going out and celebrating film. And they're not as much about that anymore. And so now, I, and I I think Tribeca is really cool. And I didn't even really think that, I just thought we were submitting to the, you know, to Sundance, South by Southwest, Toronto, Cannes, and then whatever the other famous one is. But Tribeca is much cooler. It's much smaller. And it's it's really the vibe. It clicked today. I was like, that's where people should see it. Because that's because those people will be like, yeah, Hollywood's really... Not that it's fucked, but it's like, it's being really mean. And actually, I'm going to say the media in conjunction with Hollywood is being like really mean and nasty and... That's what this movie is about. It's about how people just, you know, the media especially just wants to tear people down, to let them grovel, to be built back up, to be torn down again. And that, um, and Drew Barrymore wants to get out of the business. So she's incredibly successful. But after this happens to her, she says, um, you know, this isn't what I want anymore. I want a regular life. And I think to double back to why I, I actually am so successful in film and television is because as a stand-up, I wasn't after being a famous actor or a successful television. That's why I left Silicon Valley after four seasons. I was like, I don't want to become Ehrlich. That's not what I was after. That was a great show. It was awesome, but I want to do film. Most of all, I want to move to New York and do stand-up and be around Kate, who's an installation artist. Her world is in New York and in France. So that contributed. Yeah, that a lot. I mean, I think that's what I say on stage. I'm like, I moved in part for love. And then also because never a wrong move. He never. And and also because I want I I want the possibility of being a great comic, not just a really good one. And um that gave me a lot of power in auditions. So what I did was I um 
And that's what the movie is about. It's kind of somebody saying like, I don't need your, ver I don't need your um, concept of success to be happy. You know, if you, you think that being a huge movie star and having all these things makes you happy, it does not. She wants sort of a normal life. And that's a really interesting movie. And it's also a really interesting thing to say right now. But it's a full on, full on attacks, the culture of Hollywood and the media as they are. And it was ironic to be in it because I'm playing her manager and um, it's a dark, it's a really dark character. And, um, and I've had experience obviously with the media just coming after me and Hollywood kind of being like, uh, well, it's, you know, he's, you know, he used to be the hot thing, it's but now drop of a dime. Right? And, and so what I, what I like about the movie is that it's a real exploration of like, that in a as in a dark but also funny and absurdist way because part of the film is talking about the idea of not taking any of this seriously and that's sort of your greatest strength and greatest weapon is just to not let all just like on twitter when any of us get into these twitter just all this yeah. shit if you just close it's like ari shafir says you just close the laptop and then you're like oh there's birds singing i'm in new york here we are like let's just go have it's a beautiful day that type of thing. So what I would do for everything that I auditioned for is I would just do the most ridiculous, whatever I thought was funny. So when I did the producer second session, second round of auditioning for Yogi Bear 3D, 3D is in the name, so you don't get confused. We don't want you to come and be like, why are these things coming out of the screen? I was never told It was advertised, this. man. Read My good God. And they said... Um, so what I did was I went to Hollywood Costume on Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, I've been there many times. And I know it's like it's a it's a fun place. It's so, great. It's fun to roam. Yeah, it is. Back fun in the day, I used to get baked and just roam and look for funny that teeth, and funny so wigs. So fun. It was great, yeah. especially by yourself. So fun. Yeah, you can spend not sad at hours all. in there. No, you can spend <laughs> no it hours. was yeah. And so I bought a Rangers hat. I was in there. I might have been high and kind of looking around and be like. What, and I bought a Rangers hat. You didn't ask for a bear, did you? And I thought, no, I thought this would be really funny to bring a Rangers hat in, like I'm trying to dress the part. So I went in, and the producer of the movie is really funny. This guy, Donald DeLine, is like a great producer, but it was the director who's a big silent film comedy fan. And, um, was, you know, all the producers, everything. So I go in with the hat, and I kind of get in there, and the poor girl who's running the camera... There's always some casting assistant who's running the camera. And if she fucks up, that's it gets bad. I saw a guy just be like almost melt down because he had fucked up the camera during the audition. And right after the audition, the casting director was like, that's great. We can send that. That was perfect. We'll send that to the director in New York. And the kid's like, um, is there a way to <laughs> do it again? I don't because I thought it's sometimes it's red when it's standing by. And um, so I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I was just like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And um, so, but I came in and I go, so I, I was just wondering, can I use the hat for the audition? Because I bought the hat and it's just, it's not returnable. Like I can exchange it for credit, but it's just, and it was 1999. Yeah. It's almost $20, really close, basically $20. So I was just wondering if I could wear the hat in the audition. And they were all like, yeah, dude, that's totally fine. And I was like, great, that's great. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I put the hat on and they, they always say, say your name in Slate, mm -hmm. which means, and I, my joke with that was, um, uh, I'm TJ Miller. Um, I'm six foot three, but when I act, I crouch. So I'm six foot two. 
and uh, get a left and always yeah. Oh, and okay. so then, um, so then I said, look, I just did this with my. It's going to be recorded forever, like fucking Letterman. <laughs> and um, and so then I, I they say her name in Slate, and I'd be like, um, T.J. Miller auditioning for the role of Ranger Jones. And give me the one more. Can I just start again? Uh, auditioning for the role of Ranger Jones. Yeah, that's good. In Yogi Bear 3D. Okay. And then the guy would be like, okay. And I'd go, can I just, how much ha- how much headroom are you giving me? Because I'm going to do a lot of hat work. So do I have about how much? And this kid's like, I mean, I guess about this much. And I'm like, okay, so to me, not this much, but you're far away. So is it like this? Yeah, yeah. Can you just give me this much? Because I do a lot of like, hello, you know, and like, whoa. I was doing all that stuff, but being totally serious. And they were kind of didn't get it, but also cracking up. And um, that's good. And then I and then I did the audition, and it's and so then I found it from Allison Jones. Uh, she kind of texted me and was like, "They um, like your butt." What's that? Was it like a they like your butt? Like they want to see? No, she said. So you're their number one choice. So I get get excited because I think there's going to be exciting news coming, which she wouldn't really do if I wasn't going to get the role. Yeah, so fucked up. Yeah. So what I did though, yeah, is go, don't usually do that. I quickly go, yeah, it was really nice, but I quickly go, um, I quickly go, all right, tell them I have supplemental materials that I want to send them. And then I called my agents and my managers and I was like, call them and tell them that I want to send them a video. Um, cause I want to give them a really good idea of, um, me in this part. And then I called Hollywood animal ranch, rented a bear. It was cheaper to go to the ranch rented an actual grizzly bear, like a 600 pound grizzly bear. And then I went and I did the audition with the bear and the director of mashup shot it and it's really good. But the, the thing is, is so they said, they were like, so are you scared? And I was like, no, it's a Hollywood bear. And they're like, but it's still a bear. <laughs> so be careful. And the way that they, the way that they get it to do it's things is by bear. giving it a mushroom on a stick. And I said at one point, I go, so I'm gonna hand him his sides so can he like, is there a way he can hold the sides? And they were like, no, he's a fucking bear. Like they just thought I was the craziest human being on the face of the planet. I'd spent all this money to come and do an audition with an actual yeah. bear. Can he pull asking, Reed? Right, exactly. What's his, does he, he doesn't have an accent or anything, right? He just doesn't sound Canadian or anything like that. Cause yeah, yeah. this is an American movie. And, yeah. uh, and so I, I said, okay, so let's do it. And we shot it and you obviously kind of only have one chance of doing it so let's you, we should yeah. play it for people click on that bottom link yeah that's gotta be it <coughs> scroll down yeah it should be on youtube we ripped it and put it on my on your website uh yeah. go, go up we to the top and click it. right here yeah no that's no nope. nope. <laughs> go up to videos at the top oh, yeah, yeah it's good at videos right it's there it is there it is right there boom Vimeo. It really is one of the great jokes I've ever done. In my TJ, life. I remember being, I was like, oh, this guy's next level because n- nobody thinks to do shit like this. Yeah, it was really, let's make it big and let's hear it. Can we hear it? I think so. Hold Sam? On. Don't worry, we're all nope. cast family here. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Keeping it fam. Uh, Oh. <laughs> this is like watching someone figure out their phone and their AirPods. Whose computer is this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, really? There's a cash product. Wait, really? 
Mark, did you play it? Is it? Okay, hold on. I don't know why this sound's not working. No, we should. Will the people be able to hear it? No. No, hold on. Because like I said with my mission statement, it's about the people. This is not working right here. I don't know why. Was it working earlier? Not really. No. That might be a setting on your... Um... <laughs> well, while they fix that. Um, while they fix that. Well, it's right here, though. My podcast is Cashing In with TJ Miller. Yes. Um, with host Cash Levy and only guest, to me, TJ Miller. And, Why wouldn't uh, you take advantage and have on like, oh, I don't know, your friends Wahlberg or so Jen Aniston or your new pal Drew Barrymore? Nah, because that, that ruins the joke. The joke is that we never have, but they, and they're not going to do a podcast. That's what's kind of funny. You know, those people, you're right, Jen Aniston is the same way. So it's Jason Bateman kind of, they are good actors, but what it is about them that we watch and we love is that they're movie stars. It's yes. this charisma, it's this bigness. And they also think as much like business people as they do as artists. Gotcha. Actors think in terms of art. And actually, I've had a couple of weird conversations with Jeremy Piven, who's doing stand-up now and trying to become a stand-up. And he is thinking about it from an actor's point of view and not a comedian's point of view. And so that'll be interesting to see what that ends up being. But, you know, a movie star, I'm as quick to talk business. I talk about Hollywood with Wahlberg like... I would talk to a business person about like a business. He's very pro, I've heard. He's well, super smart. Yeah. He's super smart. And um, Kristen Stewart's really, really smart too. Wow. And I liked her a lot. But they're, you know, they are a presence and they're presence on screen, but in real life, they're very much a presence too. And Jen Anth, again, these are just super smart people that are also good at acting, but are, have this charisma, have developed it or something about it. And it's just like- Are they all dialed into, I, I would assume that like Bateman, Aniston, Drew are all dialed in on like the thing, like the whole, your body is your instrument thing, right? Because obviously- Jan Aniston is, yeah. Right? Would they ever, would you ever get involved in conversations with them about like, I don't know, their routines or their whatever? Yeah, I mean, Jason Bateman doesn't eat dinner. He's eaten, he eats dinner, his wife said, once a year, maybe. And uh, and when I was cutting weight for that role, I wasn't eating after 4 p.m., 3 p.m. So we would talk about that sometimes. I got, I got him, a, I had gotten a matcha thing from, um, from, uh, from Starbucks or something. And I had it and it was, it was like, you know, it was kind of sweet. It was really delicious. And then... I, he was like, what is that? What are you drinking? I was like, it's like a matcha latte from uh, Starbucks. You want me to get you one? I'll, I'll have him get you one next time. And he's like, okay, yeah, sure. And then he came up to me the next day and he was like, you fucking asshole. And I was like, what? And he's like, you gave me that that thing and I was the sugar in it. It's like a fucking milkshake. And I was like, yeah, did you drink? He's like, of course. <laughs> but he was like, you know, he's pissed because yeah. like he doesn't do that. Keeps it light. And, um, and he, you know, he wakes up and runs five miles a day and, um, you know, yeah, these people, it's less your body is your instrument and more like what's good for business. Yep. What's it going to take? Whatever it takes, we'll get it done. And that's, again, that's that intensity that I really am drawn to and that I like and I have within my own life is you're, you're right, it's discipline, but it's really just being intensely focused and intensely, yeah, I guess discipline. Minimizing. Um, and, but they don't take it too seriously because they can't. They can't. It doesn't work. Even Kristen, sometimes in the beginning with people, they'll kind of 
you know, you're very guarded if you're a movie star, but they'll kind of be like, um, I think I'm like this too. It's just that it's like, I don't, you know, you've got to be a little bit guarded in the beginning. And even Drew Barrymore was method acting in this film. So I had to sort of method act and oh, that wow. was weird. But, and the first night was so intense with filming because the first thing I filmed was her having her meltdown on set. And what happened, it was, uh, it was, a, it was, I've had some crazy shit happen to me in my life in Hollywood. This was one of the craziest things. She had a, so she was method acting. So she came on set as Candy Black, the name, that's the name of the movie star. And she, you know, she did it. And then she started to get angry and no one could tell if it was as Drew Barrymore or as this character oh, um, because they weren't getting the scene going fast enough. It was taking too long. And she was like, I'll be in my fucking trailer. And you were like, is that Drew Barrymore or is that um, Candy Black? And I was supposed to call her Candy on set and all that stuff. And then she had a breakdown uh, on set um, and it started to be about Drew Barrymore. And it was like, my fucking mother, you know, had me acting since I was in diapers and the fucking median, the you know, fucking New York Post will post pictures of you drinking and you were at home alone because you can't go out and you're a complete recluse and you can't be in public and you don't have any friends and you're completely isolated. And it was like, she nuts. It was yes, it was so scary and sad. And the thing is, all of the crew members, we 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 turned the camera on them, the real crew, because this was a we were shooting a movie set on an actual movie set, but shooting the movie set as part of the fake movie set, and it was a real movie set. Right. And she was freaking out and melting down, and all of the crew was like, what like what are we supposed to do? You know what I mean? And somebody's filming her with their phone and she l noticed that they were filming and started losing her mind on this kid. Yeah, of course. And, um, but that's same in the, who held the, that's camera in the movie he was supposed for Cloverfield. Uh, no, no, yeah, that's right. The poor casting assistant. <laughs> but he was holding it and he would, the director, Jamie, had told him to hold that because it's part of the movie. But when she saw that he was doing that, she either thought that he was actually recording the Drew Barrymore stuff or was just method acting and just like lost her fucking mind on this guy. And then I, as the manager come in and try and like calm her down. And, um, it was, I'm almost getting the hair on standing on the back of my neck because I had to then become an actual and actually manage the situation, which had become a meltdown. And I started yelling at the crew and being like, you guys don't fucking know what this is like. And I know, well, I know 10% of what this is like, but I, I don't. So that's the joke of the manager saying, I make 10%. I know what it's like, but it's also real that TJ knows only Drew Barrymore went to rehab when she was 13. She's constantly had the media just try and destroy her. And so I, as TJ Miller, really only know maybe 10% of what it's like to be Drew Barrymore. So that got totally weird. And then at the end, we like we yelled cut and she was so deep into this thing that she just held me and was just crying and crying and like saying, I am so sorry that all of this happened to you. And I know I'm one of the few. And it was like, whoa what is going on whoa. so it was really a meta strange experience for me but then like 
you know, five days later, it was super late. And yeah, she's still method acting, but she would sit down and be like, so what are you doing this weekend? And I'm like, I don't know. I think, I mean, I do stand up. So I, I, you know, I think we're leaving on Thursday night. She's like, is the stand up fun? And I was like, yeah. She's like, that's so cool. Cause you have your own kind of thing like that. Yeah. I was like, I was rehearsing last night. and you're suddenly realized like, this is just a thing that she's incredibly good at. And she's really smart. She's a line of cosmetics and all that stuff. Yeah. She, um, so once you're able to let your guard down, once she had that and she knew I would be serious and there for and all that stuff, then you're kind of just with somebody who's not like, okay, I need to get in my space. You're kind of with somebody who's like, uh, yeah, this is cool. I, I love like, it is surprising Jamie stuff when you become like the voice of reason, you go, I'm like the grounded person now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And she, but she sort of said this interesting thing where she goes, um, you know, it was more her going, like, I like Jamie. She's really, really smart. I loved Russian doll. And she just started talking about why Jamie was such a good director and such a good choice for the script and why she chose the script. And so you're seeing both a business person and architect of their own career. And then also the second they roll camera, it snaps into just being this powerful tour de force. It was, it was a real wow, trip. Dude. So I'm so excited about the film because Me her too. performance in it is like super funny and it gets like about two thirds of the way through, it gets dark in a way you're sort of laughing. You're kind of, you get what it, and then it gets dark in a way that's like, is this going to be some single white female shit? Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. that, you know, that did so you feel like it flexed your acting chops more so than you have uh, in a minute as far as like, that was a pretty intense yeah. couple or night certainly that was an intense couple of days with that specifically do you do stand up um, while you're shooting something like this yeah totally but i i this i yeah i really kind of fucked me on this one because i i'd sold out and added a show in greensboro north carolina but they needed me to come back on monday because they move so i actually lost money doing the uh doing the movie right but i think that um Paid dividends for sure but i think that it's uh yeah, that's what you're hoping, but you also, um, I, yeah, I don't. I, that's the thing. I don't take it that seriously. So I'd rather be doing stand up at night, and then that reminds you, like, no matter what happens tomorrow on set, these like 50 people thought I was funny in this basement in New York City. Where do you hang out in New York? It's worth it. Like, hang out or do spots? Spots. Um, Grand Village Comedy Club downtown. Then the comic strip uh, on the Upper East Side is my like home club, and then I do Danger Fields because that was the first place I saw um, somebody do. It was Artie Fuqua, and he came and he did a um, a set, and he asked to be bumped forward because he has a later spot, and he was late from the earlier spot. And in the lobby of Danger Fields Comedy Club, I was like, "Wait, you can do like three sets and wow. four sets." I was like, being being a stand-up comic in Manhattan is the coolest job that any human being could ever have. So I do spots there. And then two New York comedy clubs and Gotham, I do fairly regularly. Yeah, it's my favorite. Um, it's great, right? I mean, it's a club that I do weekends on, but it's truly like the staff. The It's got a very, mm -hmm. it's run very well. And it's, yeah. the show is It's perfect. classy. They yeah. serve champagne and yeah. stuff like that. It's really cool. It's cool. But I think that... Um, Basically, I'm past everywhere, and I just don't play the seller because the seller for me is too, there's too much status anxiety, and kind of, I just I have more stage time than I can even yeah, use. I get that. That's and a, uh, I don't I don't want to sit at the table and do the thing. yeah, man. All the people that I want to talk to, like either don't 
like Jim Norton eats at a supper table. And then Attell and all those guys just stand outside and smoke cigarettes because they don't want to do the new it's status anxiety. It's too like fame it's a real obsessed. Thing, yeah. So I'll do the village underground. And I do the fat black pussycat because my buddy Ryan Reese, who does warm up for uh, Seth Meyers, he runs a weekly show there. And I don't have to promote that. It's always sold out. And that club's super interesting. It's like Moroccan style of design. It's very strange. So you can riff in that a lot. But yeah, I just, I like doing spots. Just the other great thing is, you know, you're talking about hanging out in the green room and how at the comedy store main room, that's kind of, there's a back area of the comics will hang out waiting yeah. to do their spots. And, you know, you can kind of do the bar at the improv and at the laugh factory, it's sort of upstairs uh, in the booths. And there's none of that in New York. There's absolutely no time to hang out or do bits or any of that stuff. You see people as you're walking in you might have a small conversation and then you get up because you get up. If you have a nine forty spot, you need to be there to get up at nine forty, And so then you get up, you're, you're running from another set. You get up immediately. As soon as you're done, you say, thank you, grab your money and then run to the next spot. And, 20 somewhere and else. then I usually end at Greenwich village comedy club. Cause that's my, my good friend, Dustin Chafin kind of runs that club oh, and nice. we tour together mm-hmm. and he's got a great podcast also called I'll leave you with this. And he, um, I, I like him. He doesn't really drink. So the end of my night is not really like, let's party. It's kind of more like postmortem on the night, how the, how the show went for him. And then I live like six minute walk from there. Wow. So then I just kind of go home and there's a couple spots. There's this place for Charles prime rib and Manetta tavern right next to, um, the comedy cellar, those places will sometimes stay open for me or have a hamburger or a prime rib or something set aside. But if I'm cutting weight, you can't eat at night. So um, so I might hit a spot on the way back, but usually Kate's at home, so I just go back there and we just chill. It's Dude, great. what a – I mean, it's very impressive, the healthy mindset that you've, like, developed. And uh, I feel like you've always had, but, like, sounds like you've really – locked in on what you want to do and who you are and strategically making like the end of your night like that is very dude and you know i mean it's easier said than done to not fall victim to and and i'm sure like when you're out here and you're just rolling like the things and experiences you got to like soak up and be a part of and probably turn down and not turn down uh it's tough to like get to a point to where you're just as centered and focused as you are right now manhattan helps a lot because it doesn't feel like i'm here it feels like I'm in a different country, like a different world. It's very strange and it's very nice. And I never run into all my friends are in Los Angeles, but I don't, because I don't do any of these rooms except for the laugh factory and the improv. Um, but I would never do any East side rooms or anything like that. Like it feels like the, um, I just, there's no status anxiety in New York. All the comics are all there to become great comics. It's like a jazz musician, New York is the only place in the world where you can make a living as a jazz musician in the city. And it's all the best jazz musicians in the world. Like even Parisian Paris, like even in Paris, those guys come to New York to do jazz. That's the end all be all. And it's the same with stand up. And uh, so it, it helps center it up a lot. And then it helps that Kate and I have such a good time and get along so well and try and practice transparency. But, you know, I think what Hollywood became 
and when the media kind of really went out, it's hard to not, I don't think anybody would be able to not have some sort of a break with reality or a tailspin. And what's nice is now I'm sort of doing things on my own terms. And I'm, I mean, I'm incredibly lucky. Bobby Lee said this to me after Tiger Belly. He said, Tej, aren't we so lucky to have comedy? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I mean, we're so, so lucky. Like just to be able to like always have that and be able to tour and make money and we love it and we're good at it. And he's just like, I don't know. I just wake up every day and I feel really, really lucky for that. And I think that that's what, even within these podcasts, that's the world that people are actually starting to see is that if you're a comic, you have, you don't need Hollywood as much as actors do or people that don't want to be standups. Yeah. But you do you tour every weekend? Yeah, I'm mean, going to San Fran tomorrow. Uh, about two. Yeah, you're two, you're doing the punchline. Punchline, right? yeah. Ugh, I can't. I I, I think I'm do, I think I'm doing Cobb's. Yeah, that's a bigger the, room. Pun, yeah, but the punchline is a better room. Cobb's I, is a great I think room. so, but Cobb's it's a great room. I just love the intimacy. Uh, yeah, Cobb, yeah, yeah. The stand. I've had some of the best sets in my life at the punchline. There's been so many weekends where you've been before me and yeah, uh, yeah, or where you're coming after. Yeah, me. and it's great because. Uh, and you just saying like how great it is to have comedy like and I'm just like oh T's one of my favorites and they're I'm like we're all the shows and they're like oh sold out had Adam and I'm like great I'm like and how are we doing again they're like we're gonna paper tonight I'm like okay cool well let's work with that right, and right, see right. but again like having like that base still like like we're, we're you being able to keep that going and people coming out and there's like oh yeah like but we're also playing the same rooms yeah. it's like I think about that sometimes that we've gotten to the point where we're playing these rooms. And I think if you told us at the Ha Ha Cafe <laughs> yeah, that yeah. we'd be crisscrossing and yeah. uh, paths all over the United States. Yeah, that's very cool. It's pretty amazing. And just to plug this, I'm announcing an international tour. Whoa, um, finally, by on the way. On tjmillerdoesnotheaveawebsite.com. I do pretty well in Scandinavia. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, right, right. So and that, Sweden, I heard you talking about. is like a big... Yeah, we're all of Scandinavia, truly, but it's like... This is all over. This is in Berlin and Zurich and Vienna and Athens, Greece and Madrid and Portugal. So I'm doing all of that. And then I'm doing uh, the Avignon Theater Festival in the south of France where Kate just did an installation art festival. So she's really big in France, which wow. is very strange. You bring her on but um, check, she used to open for me. She would do sort of absurdist. She would do a couple of real songs like big band uh, standards. And the audience would be like, oh, this is cool. It's a different speed. It's like a, and then she did a cover of a YouTube meme, which is either, it's the song like, um, that starts off, uh, you were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar yeah. when I met you. Yeah. And she sings the whole, yeah, no, but she sings oh. the whole song with just that line. So she's like, in the chorus, she's like, you, you were working. You were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. That's yeah, you. And it was so funny because the audience would laugh and then they would be like, what? Is she going to keep doing this? And they'd laugh again because it's awkward and then they'd stop. And then they'd laugh again because they would realize, oh shit, this could be looped. There's there's no telling how long she would do it. And so she'd do it for a pretty, assuming Andy Kaufman shit, to tell you the truth. Oh, yeah. That was really cool. Like but now she, her career has skyrocketed yeah, so yeah. much that she's kind that of her own thing. Um, but she's going to come to some of that European tour. But dates will be on okay. TJ Miller does not have website.com. That is mid May to mid June. And then again in July. We, I know that you have international fans. I know that they oh, yeah, live baby. all over the Australia. weird European places. And, yeah. Yeah. 
Going one there. day. I'll, I've never been to Australia there, one day. Dude, you got to go there. You'd crush That's there. Great. I mean, it sounds like you got enough cool cities. And no, but, hit, but I, I wanted to go to Australia once, but I don't know. I, I met some Australians and I was like, they're like, have you ever born, born in Australia? I was like, no, they kind of, you guys are kind of too touchy about stuff. You're pretty, you're kind of pussies. And they were like, well, yeah, I mean, right now. And I was like, <laughs> Oh shit! Yeah. I completely forgot about the yeah. fires. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. And I just felt like the biggest. I, I was like, I'm buying all of your shots immediately. <laughs> yeah. What and about I, Antarctica? And I'm going to get you into the sushi place. And like, I just fucking that walked that back. Yeah. Did you do that? You bought yeah, them shots. You've done that too. Yeah. In Sacramento. Oh yeah, in Sacramento was the first show at the Punchline up there, and and just it was my first time there, and there are these just awful four gals that were celebrating a birthday, and we. Uh, I tried to give them many chances as I do and include them in what's happening, do some jokes, then try to use them to go into material. They kept going. And then finally I was just like, I go, sweetheart, like what, what is it now? Now what are you guys discussing? She goes, none ya. I go, what? She goes, I go, none ya what? She goes, none ya fucking business. <laughs> and that's not an over-exaggeration of her voice. Yeah, that's yeah. That's some Sacramento fucking Boston. Yeah, yeah. Something's getting, I don't something know. Happened, something happened, yeah. <laughs> Something happened and I was like, and that was like the last straw. And I was like, you guys got to get the fuck out. And I never kicked somebody out before. And people went nuts. Some guy in a Dr. Pepper shirt at the end of it. I was like, I'm sorry, you guys. Those girls were being in. He goes, cunts. And I go, dude, that's just what the doctor ordered. And uh, and people couldn't see he was wearing a pepper shirt. So then I had to make him stand up and show that that's what he was oh, wearing. That's so so that the joke could translate. And, and then, they all laugh because they are all were so chances. pissed at that. They were on yeah. my side. I, yeah, totally. I give them with kindness. You know, yeah. so that there's a, a, a I have jurisdiction to, to to slam them, and then you know it was probably maybe 160 people in a in a 350 room on a Thursday. So I was like, you know what, fuck it. I was like, you guys are all still here because nobody left on the bottom all shots. And, and oh, you uh, did, yeah. That's awesome. It was about maybe 400 bucks. Mm -hmm. It's like you're I such a nice guy too. I heard that at the Roosevelt, like on Tuesday or something, you shredded some heckler. Oh yeah, this was Christine Shams today. Oh yeah, she was like, you or no. Megan O was there, my best friend Megan O, oh, cool. and she saw she's buddies with CJ Sullivan because we I know him from Chicago and I nice. tour with him. Um, but you, uh, I guess you just shredded this guy. He just would not shut the fuck up. He was so drunk. Do the whole I kick people out a lot. You do. People get really drunk. I try to avoid it, but it's like I I know it's a. No, you don't want to do it. But this one guy <laughs> looked at me. He was so drunk, and I took out um, my juggling balls, and he was like. <laughs> dance monkey dance and i was like what and he goes dance monkey dance and i was like dude i'm gonna kick you out and he was like Ooh. and i fucking kicked him out and the whole Just audience freaked out that's nuts. worthy of an actual kick out like a kick yeah. to the i would I, I would have kicked him in the head <laughs> i would have if there are no repercussions i would have of kicked course. that guy of course in the head. we got to get somebody to change that he rule was one of those shitty entitled whites totally Look you know it. who i'm talking to Clavicles. <laughs> That's your Dude, nickname. This is so fun. All right, we got to wrap this up. Uh, I, I was going to ask you one just uh, amazing, intense story, but you covered it with that Drew one. And thank yeah. you for sharing that, by the way, because that was fucking inspiring and amazing. Yeah, that and awesome. was about the last night. Yeah. Uh, because I was going to say, like, I, I don't know how often you look back and go, oh man, uh, Spielberg, uh, Michael Bay, Mike yeah. Judge, uh, Wahlberg, Aniston, uh, Paul Rudd. Like, it's crazy to me the amount of like heroes i feel like you've gotten to jam with and it's only and it's continuing to 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 go um uh but uh have you worked with someone as special as the bear is the bear i don't think so great let's play the clip mark here we go dates on tj miller does not have a website.com touring nationwide i don't know when this is gonna drop thursday Come see me thursday 
This what drops Thursday. Are you this I'm weekend? Doing Dallas, <laughs> Fort Worth is coming up uh, this coming weekend. And I'll actually be in Fort Worth Thursday night. And then after that is Vancouver for all your Canadian fans. And then after that, I mean, go to TJ Miller does not have a website.com. But uh and you'll post coming about through. Coming like on once it starts there. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. Once that comes through. The Tribeca Film Festival is in April. So if you're in New York, come and see the stand-in. And well, kind of that's the fun thing about Tribeca and these festivals is you don't know what's gonna happen. It could get a theatrical release, it could go exciting. straight to something cool like Apple TV Plus. Us, you know could be really interesting okay yeah you're sorry. killing it i love you mark we hit the uh button to i love you so good to see you Anna. dude thanks for doing this man you're the best yeah, truly <laughs> so obviously you've uh You've seen what I can do in the room, but now I'd like to give you more of an idea of what I'm like interacting with a real bear uh, for this audition for Yogi the Bear. And I said, I was like, will he talk back to me? And they're like, no. But look. TJ Miller, Yogi the Bear. Hey, hey, Yogi, what are you doing? Yeah, that's what I thought. Have you been stealing picnic baskets? You have? Well, you've been told not to do that. Where's Boo Boo? Well, tell him to come back here. <laughs> this is much more nerve-wracking than I expected. <clears throat> Next scene. I'll be playing Ranger Jones in this scene. The bear will be playing Ranger Smith. Oh, God. Here you go. Here are your sides. No. Yes, he takes no. sides. And then he tries to eat them. Those are more to be red than anything else. Okay, let's start. <laughs> Ranger Smith, we've got a 423 in Redwood Valley. A, a bear disturbance, sir. Okay, copy that. Terrified at this you point? Get back, or what's happening? You're not taking this seriously, or at least you're not helping me get the job. Do you understand what I'm saying? We talked about this beforehand. I gave you several marshmallows. No fucking way. Holy shit. <laughs> You promised you'd help me get this mouth. part. All right. <laughs> I don't mean to threaten you, and so, yeah. He's apologizing. All right. <laughs> um, hello. <laughs> he keeps raising his head to say hello. All right, here we go. Ranger Smith, I just wanted to say I'm sorry. I want to be in charge so bad that... No, no, hold on, no. Wait, wait, okay. But if I need them to read my, my part of it... So, okay, let's just improvise, shall we? <laughs> Why are you... Okay. Oh, God. Did you... Didn't we have a discussion about sexual harassment <laughs> on set? Yeah, <laughs> yeah dude, feed him. Is the... Okay. Payment time. Are you going to change the stick? <laughs> <laughs> are you going to change the stick? It's so funny. Mm -hmm. Using the same stick. So you got for Zookeeper, that Kevin James thing? Or... Yeah, I didn't get an audition for that. Right. You're shooting the shit in between takes now? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Did you get an audition for Kevin James' Zookeeper? Oh, my fucking God. TJ Miller, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, guys. Hell, best hell yeah. Audit.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.